Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Connor Devine. I am your host. This is my podcast, Money and Plants. You are listening to episode 37 of series 3 of the podcast. In this episode, I get to speak to a former Premier League footballer. This guy originally is from Belfast and he spent over 15 years in professional football, which in itself is a wonderful achievement. It really is uh, incredible to play at the top level, particularly for one of the top teams in the name of Tottenham Hotspur. I'll share a little secret with you. That was uh, my all-time goal as a young boy growing up. I always wanted to play professional football. I always wanted to play for Manchester United. I didn't quite make it. I had a good enough football career. I was over in England at trials a couple of times with Coventry City, but I did go on to have a decent sporting career. I played Irish League football right up until I was 28 years old and regular listeners will know that's when I got very ill and my sport took a backseat for a while. However, back to this week's guest and this week I am speaking none other to none other than Mr. Paul McVeigh, originally from West Belfast. Paul is actually about three months younger than me, so we're in around the same age and I have actually been watching his career Over the last 25 years, I have been watching Paul, keeping an eye on him, even though this is the first time that we're actually going to have a conversation. So I'm really looking forward to this. I've read Paul's book, The Stupid Footballer. I have watched him transition in the last five years in particular into the whole area of performance psychology. He has done his degree in psychology. He worked for Crystal Palace and Norwich as a sports psychologist for five or six years. So this is someone who is a very uh, intriguing person. He's incredibly curious. I think he's got uh, an enormous amount of passion and zest for life. And I think he really wants to help people as well. I've watched a lot of his stuff, particularly in the last month in the build up to this conversation. And I just think Paul's doing some amazing stuff. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So let's roll the tape and I will do my usual sum up at the end. Paul McVeigh, how's it going? You're really welcome to Money and Plants. How are you keeping? Uh, very well, Connor. Thanks for having me. It's uh, very going to be very difficult for anyone that lives outside of where we're from to try and understand this podcast. So, you know, good luck all I'm saying. Well, speak for yourself, Paul. I'm quite well spoken. <laughs> I'm from Tyrone. Um, just before we, we get into this, uh, I actually have just had a quick chat pre-record, but I've sort of been following your career and the other lads who went across um, at a young age, 14, 15, 16, to England. And I've sort of been following you from afar. Um, we've never met. This is the first time we're, we're speaking and it's great to have a chat with you. But people who aren't aware, like it's it's nearly 28 years since you've went to England at 16. You're now back in Belfast. Could you give us a 60 second overview of what you've been up to in the last 28 years? Because it's it's quite different. There's been some transition in there transitions and that's probably the hardest question I will ever have to answer is sum up 30 years in 60 seconds bloody hell um okay very very top level is uh decided to kick a ball around in England in 1994 joined massive club in Tottenham Hotspur made a couple of Premier League appearances and realized I wasn't quite at that level so found my level with Norwich City in the championship and 
had a good crack at it there for for eight years and and we ended up winning winning the league get back into the premier league again realized we still weren't at that level or i still wasn't at that level so came back out of it again and, and had another flirting with another few clubs and and then decided to stop playing in 2010 not because it was getting too you know old or slow or or you know was not getting offered contracts more because i thought it'd be really really empowering for me to be able to walk away from football rather than football chew you up and spit you out and so i decided to leave and, and follow this passion i have which is all around psychology mental performance mindset and for the last 10 years or so i've been working in this world and very very fortunate to to work with some massive companies like Microsoft or Cisco or NatWest or GlaxoSmithKline or, or any of those big companies have been fortunate to work with over the last 10 years. And essentially, it's working with senior leaders and teams on performance development. And I specialize around the mental performance element of that. Well done. Um, that's a good summary. And I suppose it's fair to say that you know, you've, been, you've, you've had a really successful football career uh, with your professional football and playing for Northern Ireland as well. And then you, you've in the last ten years, I've sort of been watching you as well, your development in the professional field, and you've you've really kicked on there actually, in the last five or six years, from what I can see. But one of the things I wanted to ask you, because I'm I'm really interested in this, Dr. Gabor Mate is someone who I I really uh, have learned a lot from over the last ten years, and it's really helped me personally, reading his books and learning from his teachings. But he says things like, "We are all products of our environment," and I know that you grew up in West Belfast. I grew up in Tyrone, and you know I, how we we see the world. I think is probably quite similar. And I'm I'm interested because often, and from a sports psychologist then point of view, you know, like what, how have you done all? How have you got to where you are now? Like what has driven you, and what role did your environment growing up in West Belfast play in the Paul McVeigh that I'm speaking to today? Well, it's there's loads of elements in all of that and and yes i can appreciate why a lot of people's environments can dictate or have a huge influence on on you know what happens to them through life but just as a really really quick um allegory i heard whenever i was i think i was speaking to a friend in america before and he shared this really quick story about how you know two brothers grew up in a household where their dad was, you know, an alcoholic and he used to abuse him and he never had a job and just had a sort of lot of struggles in life. And then whenever the two brothers grew up, that one of the brothers was an alcoholic, never had a job, never had a, you know, a sort of loving relationship and really struggled. And of course, the other brother went on to be, you know, do well at school, got his degree, got a good job, had a really solid relationship, family and kids. And whenever they were both asked, you know, how's this how's this possible you know so if you both grew up in the same place and with all of these things going on around you and the influence from your dad and yet ironically they both give the answer of well how else could it turn out with a dad like that and i think that's a really really good way to say that yes of course environments and people around you are going to hugely influence you but i suppose the one thing that i've learned over the last whatever 25 years since a kind of really started getting interested in this whole subject of personal development and mindset and psychology or whatever way you want to describe it, is that ultimately our thinking and our daily habitual thinking is going to drive and dictate the way that our life looks. And and I suppose just as a little insight into me really early on, Connor, is that 
I learned or I made a decision, should I say, a long, long time ago that the only thing I ever need to work on in my life is my psychology. Because I know if I get my psychology in a really healthy place, really constructive and have a good perspective of myself and life, that if I get that right, everything else falls into place, which means my health will be in a really good place. My finances should be in a good place. My relationships will be good. My career should be good because I know that my mindset is dictating my belief system or what we call our mental map. And I know that if I'm setting goals for myself in the right areas across a whole breadth of different areas of my life and I keep working on them consistently, that I'm going to create a life that I want. Albeit, there'll be loads of things that will go against what my plan will be, but I'll still have a better way to react and have more resilience to be able to keep striving towards that life that I desire. And if, if we look at what you've just said then, so you've basically said that, you know, at, at some point in time you, you had this mentality and mindset, but what, can you remember like what, what age you were whenever you, or, or have you always been like that? Like whenever you, because you, you were quite diminutive and small as a, a physical from a footballer's perspective, but that didn't, that didn't hold you back at all. And I'm just wondering, like, when did, did we always like that from, from primary school or was it like after Spurs or whenever you got to Norwich? Because, you know, Paul Lambert, he wrote the, uh, the foreword in your book, um, which I know is 10 years old now. But it, it, I thought it was amazing when I was reading it at the weekend. Few have been more determined and driven to make most of their ability than Paul McVeigh, a manager's dream. He talked about your attitude. Like, I personally know that, like, that's, you know, for me, you have a good attitude. Like, I'm two young kids and I'm trying to teach them to have a really good attitude from now because they'll have it forever. Did you have this innate ability to deal with these things for, like, from your really young person or was it in your 20s or 30s? It's a good question. It's a really difficult question to answer because I suppose, like most people growing up, we don't really have an awareness of who we are and what we are as we're growing up. And and I think even just the way the brain forms, the whole kind of physicality of the brain doesn't allow us to have a self-awareness potential until around kind of 13, 14 or 15. So it's really difficult to answer that. All I know is whenever I went across to England, leaving this place and didn't realise that I had an inferiority complex and whether that was because I was always the smallest player in the team or whether because I went across to London suddenly around all these cockneys and people who were either bigger and stronger and just looked more superior. And suddenly I felt very inferior because I had a different accent or because I didn't come from London or whatever. And suddenly all of these things compounded to make me think there is no way in the world that I'm ever going to be a professional footballer. So this, I suppose this is whenever you peek behind the curtain of someone looking at your life from sort of from afar and saying, oh, you've, you've sort of had this, so you went across the Spurs and then you went to Norwich and you're playing for Northern Ireland and you're doing all these things. I'm going, yeah, but the struggles were horrendous. You know, just being away from friends and family at 16 and living in London by yourself was a really, really difficult experience. Trying to compete against some of the best players on the planet and that's would be the likes of your Teddy Sheridan's and Les Ferdinand's and David Ginola's and Darren Andrews and Saul Campbell all these players and trying to compete against them and have the a the technical physical psychological or social capacities to try and compete with them and get better than them was just such a massive challenge that I failed at and why I didn't sustain a career at Spurs but then, of course, as you start going through these things, I did come across this word of personal development and it was simply by reading a book. 
and I suppose that's the power that you have whenever you can read and, and another one of the decisions I made and it's hard to see this as you're going through it and it's been like if you ever seen the Steve Jobs Stanford graduation speech where he says you can't connect the dots going forward in your life you can only look back and be able to connect the dots and whenever I read a book that essentially said you know stop looking outside of yourself because everything you'll ever need in your entire life you've already come within and that's such an eye-opening you know statement key message profound message and so whenever I read that in a book at 17 and suddenly started thinking, okay, technically I am what I am. I'm never going to be the best player. I'm never going to be the worst. I'll be always be somewhere in the middle. Physically, I'm always going to be the smallest player in the team. You know, that's just not an argument. Socially, I was okay. You know, I could sort of get along with people, but probably my social side wasn't good because it was going out too much with that Irish gene in you. But I realized that the psychological or the mental side of performance your career of life, everything you do is something that can be learned. And if you're learning more of these things as you go through, and if you then start to be able to apply some of these psychological skills or mental skills to what you're doing, well, then I thought that was the single biggest advantage that I could have over people in football. And of course, that helped me transition out of football, which is obviously such a struggle for so many people who come out of a career after 20 years. And then again, now, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because 11 years ago when I stopped playing, I had a goal, I had focus, I had the determination, I had the work ethic to be able to go and be the first Premier League player to become a uh, keynote speaker and qualify with a master's in sports psychology. So it's more just to say that this doesn't happen by accident. It happens because I decided that I wanted to do it and then work my socks off for the last decade to make it happen. Yeah, there's, there's so much in what you've you've said there one one thing i have heard you speak about um in some of the other podcasts and paul has has contributed to lots of podcasts actually if if you wanted to check them out as well but it's it's this constant for me you know in the back of my head uh, of of failure it's always there you know i failed my 11 plus um as i said to you i didn't make it in england i came back from from coventry and there's, it, I think that's personally sort of pushed me on in my life um, because I've, I've, I've had the presence to accept that and then try and deal with it and take massive action. But I'm really, want, I'm interested because, you know, George Graham sort of, I think he got rid of you at Spurs, said maybe you were too mm-hmm. small, massive, must have been kicking the teeth. And then I've heard you say this, that in a professional footballer career, and I would understand this, that there's more rejections and, and bad times than good times. So two things then, you know, how did you deal with each of those moments? Because like that's huge. Every, every time you get bad news, it's just horrendous anyway. And then how did you deal with that? And then with your sports psychology, performance psychology hat on, how can, like how, what is the best way to deal with rejection or adversity? How can people deal with that and use that to push on in your experience? Well, Firstly, let's just talk about George Graham because, you know, unbelievably successful manager with Arsenal and for him to say, you know, that I was too small. <laughs> I just didn't really know what I was expecting because I was the same height when they hired me as when they fired me. So I'm like, I don't know if you suddenly thought I was going to become like Peter Crouch in six foot seven rather than four foot nothing. But for some reason, he thought height was the defining factor of why I'm not going to be. Now, whether it was an excuse or not, but either way, it was just that was the reason that he gave. But it just lends very nicely into how do you deal with rejection. And of course, there are loads of people who got released from Spurs 
the year that I got released and over the years and, and decades of the players that have been there. And the reason why some struggle with that and why others use it as a as a, almost like a springboard to kick on in their career, it's just simply the meaning they give to what happens in, in their lives. So again, at the time, George Graham telling me I'm too small, telling me sort of not what he's looking for to play in the Premier League was devastating. You know, I'm 21, kind of think that my career is pretty much dead in the water, it's over. Didn't really know what to do. But after a little bit of time, and again, not even realising that I'm doing this, but I gave it a meaning of just because George Graham doesn't think I'm capable of playing in the Premier League doesn't mean I'm not. I've already got three games on them about to prove it, and I've already got a goal on them about in the Premier League, so I'm obviously he can do something, but maybe it's just not for him. And if it's not for him, that's fine. But the meaning that I give it was, yes, I was pretty upset, really sort of heartbroken almost leaving Spurs and suddenly getting an opportunity up at Norwich City to go on trial up there because the manager at the time was Brian Hamilton, former Northern Ireland manager, and just to go up and have a chance to go and play up there. Suddenly the meaning I gave to that rejection Spurs was, okay, why don't I use this as real motivating factor to go and try and get a chance or a contract in Norwich City? So to go in and almost feeling a little bit blasé, thinking, listen, I've got released from Spurs who are up here. Suddenly I'm going to go to Norwich City or down here in the league below. I'm going to walk into this team, <laughs> walked into the training ground, and suddenly on my first day of training, I'm up against Craig Bellamy, a young Craig Bellamy, who, by the way, was the best player at Norwich at the time. And that season, he then got sold for £6 million. Pounds. Ewan Roberts, who'd scored over 200 goals in his career. You know, Craig Flamini played loads of times in the Premier League and FA Cup finals. Matt Jackson, who'd won the FA Cup with Everton. And, you know, suddenly you're going, oh. And, and then, of course, my old mate, Philip Moran, who's from Belfast and had just been left uh, Manchester United playing that treble winning team, at, you know, with Beckham and Giggs and Scholes and Keane, etc. So suddenly my, oh, I'm going to walk into this team was hit with a sudden, you know what? If you want to have a career, no matter what level you're playing at, you're going to have to be very, very good and performing very, very well every single day. And then, of course, you start learning all the skills that allows you to go on and have a long-term career in professional football. Brilliant. Well, there was something else I picked out. There's there's a number of, of nuggets in my research of you, Paul, over the last week or two, but one was awareness. You talk about awareness and transition. Mm-hmm. And... You talk about the importance of being aware and prepare for what's next. And you talk about Grant Holt then as being world-class in transition and this ability to adapt and thrive in a new environment. And I just think, you know, for young people and people today, where society has gone through tremendous amount of flux and, and change and disruption, no matter what industry you work in, I think you're in the right space because we really do need performance psychologists. <laughs> and you're the only one I know. <laughs> but, <laughs> like so there's the demand is there the market is there so like your style like you've, you've seen there's a market there but just about this whole thing about being aware i mean life's so fast at the moment you know people live in their own wee world we're all running about so fast um i just think that's there's magic in there awareness and transition talk to me about that tell me why grand told had it in abundance well, I suppose anybody who's not a Norwich City fan from a few years ago might not know Grant Holt, but the reason why I used him in my book when I, when I wrote it in probably 2012 and got published in 2013 was because at the time, 
I had signed with him in my second spell back in Norwich, so I knew it was coming towards the end of my career at 32. Grant Holt was probably still in his mid-20s, late-20s, but he'd come from the lower leagues, and to be able to come from the lower leagues, and we were in League One at the time, so still lower leagues, when he went and scored 30-odd goals that season, then the next season he went and scored 25 goals. So he went from League One into the Championship, got promoted out of the Championship, into the Premier League. Then the next season he goes and scores 15 goals and nearly goes on to play in the Brazil with the England team in the World Cup. And when you suddenly go from, how is this guy who last year I played against him at Shrewsbury and go forward a couple of years and suddenly he's knocking on the door to play up front with Wayne Rooney in the 2014 World Cup with England. That for me just shows his ability to transition through the levels and that's really what differentiates the sort of the top players not even top players the best performers because when you get the opportunity or you get that extra bit of responsibility okay let's see if you can perform at this level because this is harder than what you're used to and some people will be able to do it others don't manage it and very quickly get moved on but that's in every every industry it's not whether it's football and sport you know if you could be a solicitor you could be you know whatever whatever business you're in if you keep improving and keep performing as the difficulty gets more and more. That's essentially you going through the gears and you transitioning through those levels. And of course, from my world, I had to be one of the best players as an under 16, under 18, getting into men's football through playing in the Premier League, etc., and then trying to play internationally. So yes, that's great. But I only played about 25 times in the Premier League. Compare that to someone who played 100 or 400 or 500 compare that to someone who won an FA Cup or a Premier League medal or Champions League so you just see the different levels of what there is in football but it still comes back to have you got the ability and then there's just so many skills that then come with that ability to keep performing at a higher level and just to try and I suppose succinctly talk about what the biggest thing I think is is the belief that you have the ability to do it and most people struggle with that because most people put such limitations on what we're capable of that generally holds us all back yeah i think one one of the advantages i think i've always had a real advantage is because because I, I never had a ball out of my hand from i could walk and i've always played sport and i i just think a lot of the characteristics that i have got um uh and use in my life has come from my sporting background even dealing with adversity and dealing with my sickness and from a health perspective like i would exercise 45 minutes every day you know i try and get that in um and i've done the iron man stuff and there's a whole backstory there so exercise is, is really important to me being healthy is really important to me but and from a sporting background i understand mental performance and how to improve my my mental health and my mentality and i get that because you, you dip in and out of it in sport but there's a whole population of people and a lot of them be listening to this 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 show and they don't really understand like mental performance. How can I improve my? They're not in the sport. They never were in the sport. Um, I'm just wondering: is there a couple of things? Uh, what would you suggest for someone? How can one sort of improve their mental performance? You know, is there well, a couple of things that a couple of starters, starting points for people? Yeah, I think the reason why I call it mental performance is because whenever you say to people about improving their psychology. You know, there's a there's a whole inference in there of that a there's an assumption that you need to improve your psychology. That as soon as you use the word psychology, the connotation there's something wrong with you. So I just try and break it down into the fact that in my world, whenever I was playing football professionally, there's essentially four areas of performance. 
And if you look at like the English FA have this model where if you want to improve performance of a player, the top left corner would be your technical ability. And that's obviously all the different ways that you can play technically. In the bottom left corner would be your physical ability. And of course, that's you know everything to do from your size, speed, strength, etc. Top right would be your psychological <clears throat> performance. And the bottom right would be your social or your social ability. And from my side, all of those four corners were really, really important as I'm going through my professional career. But the reason why I use that whenever I'm going to work in the corporate world is because is it just sportsmen or women who need to perform across all those areas whenever they go in to do their job or when they go in to compete, whether it's in training or on the pitch? Of course, the answer is no, because anyone who has a job, even if you're employed by yourself or you're self-employed, you know, if you have a role within a business, you need to perform technically across what you're doing. And even just, you know, if anyone is in the professional services or financial services, you don't have your chartership or your qualifications just to be able to technically do your job. But if everyone's equally technically qualified, does that mean that there's a parity in performance? No, there's a massive variation in performance. And if there's a massive variation in your interest in working out what it is, well, that suddenly steps into my world because that's what I've been involved in for the last 25 years of elite performance in those dynamic and fast-paced environments. And if you want to try and work out what it is, well, let's take the technical element out of it because everyone's technically qualified, otherwise you wouldn't be in the role. And let's start to understand how your physical performance is affecting what you do. And in my job, it was really important. I suppose loads of people in the corporate world would say physical isn't really as important for me, but I think probably the last two years have shown that you need to be out, you need to move in your body, you need to be in a good physical place so that you can still do your job, whatever that is. So that's the bottom left. But then, of course, you then talk about the mental side of performance, that psychology. And I'm saying, in my experience, and it's only my experience, but if you ask any senior leaders, any SLTs, board members, MTs, business owners, what's the biggest difference in your staff or your team's performance? 99% of them will say it's down to the psychology of their mindset. And I will go, yeah, I think we could all agree on that. And then the follow-up question is, so what are you doing to improve that? What do you think the answer is, Connor? <laughs> Zero or very little or about three years ago, I did a goal set and exercise and I've not really looked at it because I had it in the drawer ever since. Yeah. So again, for me, it's the single biggest area to work on and the majority of people have come across in the corporate world do very, very little to consciously improve that. And, and just on that then, so you've worked with a lot of uh, what I would call elite performers in professional sport and you're now in, uh, in, in terms of your speaking engagements, you're working with very successful uh, people in the professional business side of things. What, what characteristics, what, what commonalities are there with elite performers? If there's two or three things that separates people in the elite bracket from others, what, what would you suggest they are? Where, what, what are the top two or three traits? Well, it's probably, I don't know if the, the traits are as easy to define as what the difference is. And of course, anybody who's being successful, you know, they've got that work ethic, you know, for instance, I'm speaking to a US law firm the other day and they're saying, listen, 
our guys and girls, you know, they work three days straight. They're working through the night because the clan has a deadline. They need to get it done. And then eventually they get that and then they're on to the next thing. And then they're suddenly gone. But they realize that this isn't sustainable because they suddenly have a burnout after three or four years. And they're talking about retaining their talent. How do we retain our talent instead of burning them out? Because this isn't sustainable for the way that the legal profession is. And so one of the biggest differences I would see between elite sporting performers and people who think they're at the top of their game or really elite performers in the corporate world is having the ability to recover. And when you don't allow yourself to recover, then this sustained performance is so short term. It's so short lived. It's like going out and trying to do, you know, the hardest 9.5 difficulty rating session every single time you go out and train. That's great to go and do it. But if you try and do it repeatedly day after day, you know, twice a day for weeks and months on end, your body can't handle it until eventually you're just going to collapse because it just simply can't do it. You might be able to do it for a little bit here at a time, but the difference is in the sports world is that we have cycles of our training. We go in and whenever we're going to work hard, we're going to push ourselves to our limits. But as soon as you do that, what's the first thing you do once you push yourself to your limits? You then have a very detailed plan of how you recover so that when you need to go again, you can go again. Whereas in the corporate world, I don't see that at all. All I see is push, 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 push the limits, push the limits all the way through until what happens? Someone falls off a cliff and goes, can't do this anymore. Change a profession or can't work for you. Yeah, look, I've worked in big corporates and, and there's a factory farming element to the corporate world that I just don't like. I thought it was difficult to express. I think it's difficult can be to express yourself in that big corporate environment. Um, it, it is an interesting space. Jim Rohn says you are the average of the people that you meet and the books that you read. And um, I think you're an avid reader, but can you, could you recommend a book or two for me? Um, what are you reading at the moment? I've seen you sharing something on Instagram last night with the universe. And yeah, no, that, that was just more just a little bit of fun, like just a little bit of fun reading. That was um, uh, Bill Bryson, Short History of Nearly Everything. Again, that was just because the, the sort of the facts in it are just blew my mind from reading of how, you know, we exist with sort of people and places in the world around us. But in terms of the books of really helped me in, in my, I suppose, my own personal development journey, of, I remember reading one. So the, the reason why I started this whole lifelong learning process was at 17 i remember in 1995 actually in this this month it was november 1995 i read a book by tony robbins so anthony robbins massive personal development guru in america and i read his book awaken the jam within and you know from i suppose if you've never come across this word before it's a game changer and for me as a young kid with this massive inferiority complex living in london by myself it was so helpful and it allowed me to start looking at ways of being in more control and feeling more empowered. Whereas I think that the majority of people that I sort of either work with or that are going through this kind of daily struggle feel really out of control and feel really disempowered. And it's almost like a lot of people I come across, especially in, in the corporate world, do actually feel quite kind of helpless and, and almost that disappears into a little bit of hopelessness as well. And it's really... You know, it's, I'm not judging them because, you know, we all have our struggles. We all have different things just to try and get through. But it's not a great way to live, is it? It's really, really tough. And so whenever I read this book, it just completely, I suppose, took the blinkers off what I thought was possible and how you could go about your life. And instead of having this predetermined, this is where your life's going to be because that's where it's always been. Suddenly I thought, well, 
what kind of life do I want to have? What kind of life do I want to create? And what kind of life do I want to be living? And if I can start making decisions as a 17 year old, 25 year old, 32 year old, when I stop playing football, you know, 37, whenever I finished my master's in, in psychology and realized actually, I just don't want to work in sports psychology or in the media. I just want to do all of this uh, corporate training and speaking and performance development programs. And suddenly you start putting things in place so that when you do come to different points in your life, you can actually look and go, well, I did a lot of this as opposed to life has dealt me a card or dealt me a hand and I have to try and, you know, just deal with the way it is. Fantastic. Look, I've taken up uh, loads of your time. It's been really brilliant. Where can people reach you, Paul? Where's the best place to find your stuff and your work? Is it LinkedIn? Yeah, so obviously LinkedIn's a big one for me. You know, probably got like 30,000 sort of connections and followers on there. So really, really good place to find out what I'm doing. I'm always sort of updating that stuff. And, and obviously people can can get in touch with me and connect with me on there. Or my website, just paulmcveigh.co.uk. So more than happy to, to get in touch with there. And of course, if you did go on, to my website then you have the ability to download my book that you mentioned connor kindly mentioned which is the stupid footballers dead so you can download the book for free on there paul mcveigh that's fantastic thank you very much my pleasure well done mate hey everyone welcome back I hope you enjoyed that conversation that I had with Paul McVeigh earlier last week. You know, what I normally do in the podcast is I have this conversation. I do some research on the guest and I try to ask questions. I try to tailor questions that I hope provide some value for you, the listener. And following couple of days of research and study of Paul and his really remarkable life to date kind of a surreal life actually living in this fishbowl of professional football for 15 odd years and playing with some of the biggest superstars in the world uh, all of the money and the finance and the material goods uh, and the materialistic nature of that which is really a, a, a false world that's not really real. And then thinking about that, it must have been incredibly difficult for someone like Paul McVeigh, who could come from Belfast into this world, and then at 31, 32, was told uh, that, you know, it's not going to work out for him. And he actually started to figure out himself that. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to add some new skills. I'm going to have to retrain. I'm going to have to change direction in my life. And then over the last 10 odd years, he has built this new life for himself in, in psychology and this whole aspect of human performance, teaching people actually uh, the lessons that he has learned and acquired and the tools that he has been able to acquire and to share all of this with his new audience, his new market, his new customers. Uh, I think it's quite incredible. Uh, in his book, The Stupid Footballer, he talks about the importance of taking personal responsibility. For me, I think one of the 
things I've been working on for many years is this whole aspect of becoming self-reliant. I think it's really, really important as individuals and humans that we become self-reliant. I don't depend on anybody for anything. I've said that before in a podcast. Personal responsibility. Stop blaming other people for your own challenges. Paul talks about the importance of how we react to certain events. He calls it think about thinking in his book. How do you react to adversity? So you don't have to be a professional footballer to experience adversity. We all experience adversity, most days. I think at the minute, the way life is at the moment, we have this constant push and force of anxiety on people. I think it's really, really difficult. So the challenge then has to be, well, how are we all going to react to this? I choose to react in a positive way through my exercise, through my nutrition, through my reading. How are you going to react? All the things Paul talks about is the importance of innovating and improvement, awareness and transition. I like the story about Grant Holt where he was able to transition and adapt and thrive in new environments. So maybe you're sick of your own job right now, you want to get out of what you're doing. I meet loads of people who are just not happy in their jobs. And what I say to them is, well then, change your job. You're not a tree. You can change. And they say, well, how do you do that? Well, it might take six months, 12 months, 24 months, 36 months. But you can change. You can do what Paul McVeigh did, you can learn new skills, you can acquire new skills, you can retrain, but you can change. In my professional career, I have transitioned three different times. Started out training in real estate, re-educated myself around debt, started a debt business. I then launched a finance business in 2016. So I'm constantly evolving. That's something I'm really interested in. I hope you get some value from that conversation. A little bit different talking about the whole world of psychology and mindset. A lot of stuff that I talked to Jack about around resilience and drive and determination. A lot of that stuff was important and tied in with a lot of what Paul is talking about in his own life, his own career. So I hope you get some value from it. I hope it made a difference. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I enjoyed making it. I enjoyed the conversation. You can reach me at Connor at ConnorDevine.com. Let me know uh, your reaction to this. Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? If you've got any questions, ask me the questions. Happy to respond. Also, please share it with one or two other people who you think might be interested in this. And outside of that, look after yourselves. Look after your mental health, look after your physical health and look after each other. Thanks for listening.
upon a star I'd wish that I could heal the scars And take away every ounce of pain So hold my hand if you feel scared I'll build a house where you feel safe And if you call my name then I'll be there 